Yeah, Passive House has been around for a long time. It's interesting. It's become more of a movement in the U.S. in the last couple of years, um, but it's not it's not commonplace. Um, and it's a really cool approach that you design and build with an eye to conservation first. Um, so very simply, it's a building science approach that if you build a really robust envelope, and that includes windows and doors. So we're talking about triple pane windows. What is that? What does that affect in terms of the performance of the whole house in particular? And, and a lot of passive house practitioners are focusing on if you do a really great passive house design and envelope, your demand on energy for heating and cooling is radically reduced. To the point that most people don't believe me when I say it's 80 to 90% less energy at a much higher comfort level. But that's the physics of it. If we, if we over or maximize insulation and air barrier, that it's almost like that stainless steel thermos that you have. And you're so happy when you put hot coffee in it at six in the morning and at four, you're like, it's still hot. That is the best. And that's why it's passive, because without adding more coffee into it or heating up the mug, it stayed warm. So that's the principle of these homes is if you make a really solid, well-insulated container, what it takes to heat and cool it is tiny. Hello to everyone. Thank you so much for uh, being here today with us. We have an exciting conversation with Edie Dillman of B Public Prefab. They're an organization that is both design and fabrication, and they work all across the country and hope to work internationally soon. Um, welcome, Edie, to the podcast. Thanks, Mark. So pleased to be here. How is life in New Mexico? It's just beautiful. It is um, spring-like, and right now the winds are down. I don't think people know this around the country. New Mexico is beautiful high desert with mountains, and we still have a little bit of snow up there. That's but awesome. it gets windy in spring. And right that now fantastic. it's calm. Well, among all of the, the beautiful landscapes in, uh, in New Mexico, um, I've had the benefit of talking with Edie before about specific projects, um, but uh, start off, tell us a little bit about your work, your background, and, uh, and the, the current uh, projects you're working on today. Happy to. Um, you did a great intro, but I'll repeat. I'm Edie, and I am the CEO. There are three of us co-founders, and we founded the company back in 19, before something else happened to everyone. That's and, name. I, don't, yeah. I don't know. We all stayed inside and thought a lot about the built environment and how healthy it is. How's that for a segue? Wow. Well, um, so we launched this company. It's actually a spin out from an architecture practice that was designing um, high performance, healthy, um, and passive house certified homes, um, mostly in the Southwest. Um, and my co-founder, Jonah Stanford, who's an architect and a passive house practitioner, um, sort of uh, discovered a market opportunity that it's very hard to um, retrain all the home builders out in the field to achieve these very technical assemblies and get out all the thermal bridging and make sure it's airtight and super insulate things. Um, and an obvious solve to him was to go to panelization for the, the shell of the building. Um, and there are lots of, of uh, friends, colleagues, competitors in the field that are doing insulated panelized shell construction, but most of it's designed um, sort of as a bespoke, a one-off, really taking architectural plans and slicing and dicing into panels that you can install on site. And we took a very different approach that we really believe that faster building, healthier long-term buildings themselves, low energy, um, and better materials should be offered widely to many more forms of housing construction. And so we rolled out a standard components list or kit of parts for architects and builders to design with 
certain dimensions and standards, um, but very usable forms. So um, we sometimes say Lego-like because <laughs> we all like playing with those things and we understand what the tolerance of a Lego is <laughs> and how they stack. Um, and so, we, you know, we've been in the market offering design services directly to homeowners and developers to produce um, mostly single family home, but we're also working in multifamily townhome and, and sort of cluster development designs, as well as training architects and designers how to specify a thermal envelope, just like architects specify windows and doors. And those, you know, are manufactured offsite for very good reasons. Um, but we also know their performance and we can look at the performance data of a window and door. We're just the other part of that envelope. So it is just the primary structural envelope. And we're doing things from small backyard ADUs to uh, multifamily three stories above parking. So lots of flexibility. And we'll talk probably about this more later, but we're really focused on this sort of um, residential scale, neighborhood scale, um, low rise construction to really the highest quality and craftsmanship available. We just do it in a shop and then bring it to site to be raised with cranes very quickly for, um, you know, some of the sequences of new construction. We don't do all of it. We just specialize in the one. That's awesome. And so um, that is a great introduction um, to the process. Um, in your background, what brought you into the architecture and development uh, world? It's a it's a strange serpentine road that led me here. I mean, I think uh, number one, I live in a house. <laughs> I believe in housing. <laughs> um, I'm also a parent of a certain age, and I've had a wonderful career, mostly in graphic design and magazine publishing, but I've done lots of things. Um, and I and I had a, a real sort of uh, change of heart that it was time to make a change, a permanent change in our world with my career. I'd done a lot of work volunteering and as sort of an activist and community, but it was time to really focus the majority of my time, because I do love to work, bit of a workaholic, um, on something that really can have impact long-term and certainly will help you know, my kids and generations to come. Um, and, and like I said, I, my partner had developed a system and um, I have spent a lot of time coaching small business people, done a lot around creative teams and building creative teams. Um, and, and disruption of any kind requires that sort of design thinking of how can we shift a market? How can we change minds? How can we change behaviors? And so that's really sort of my side of it. Um, how, how can we call more people into this? We just talked about passive house high performance. How do we drop those barriers and include many more people into the opportunities of better building? Um, and, and directly before we launched the company, I had been working for a nonprofit. That was part of my shift of heart and concentration in my career. And I went to work with an incredible group working on um, really worldwide changes, disruption, and how we look at education and how that relationship from education to workforce is either failing and succeeding. Um, and when you look at that, the skills gap that we have created by sending people to BAs and not training people really for um, lifelong learning um, continued learning and sort of a skills-based economy. Um, there's a lot around the trades and it makes like all the problems that we're seeing in and around building very clearly that we emptied out the trades, we devalued the trades, we made it, um, you know, we genuinely told people uh, to better yourselves, go get a BA, don't follow your family into the family business um, and, and now we sit in a very um, critical stage of either we call new people in, we diversify that workforce, we make it attractive um, for people and we pay them to get trained, or we will continue to fail and see the cost to build rise and, you know, 
lack of housing everywhere. So that was my calling to this work. Um, that it was, there's so many, there's so many issues. I want to say problems, but I'm just going to say issues that we're addressing. And it's incredible to have an opportunity in a career to actually offer solutions. Um, it's just, it's so powerful to tell people there's good news. There, there are ways to do yeah. things better. And it doesn't break tradition. It actually honors tradition. And it's understandable, you know, both to the homeowner and to the builder and to the architect. And we'll probably get to this as well. It's it's valued right now very highly by our communities, right? And we can even go up to the IRA and what the feds are trying to do in terms of, oh my gosh, we have a critical moment in decarbonizing and addressing energy. So I get to do all of that. Can you believe that? It's so cool, right? Yeah. That's awesome. I want to I want to come back a little bit because this is something I'm I, I feel like I'm almost directly involved in almost every day is, is working with tradespeople from the construction side. And you said something that kind of struck me that how do you make how do you make the trades or construction in general a desirable field to be a part of? And uh and you say you're tackling that. So I, I'm kind of diverting a little early here, but I'm, I'm curious. I want to dive into that for a second, if you don't mind. What? How do you? How do you change that perception? Yeah, I'm clearly passionate about this, so thank you for the question, Matt. Um, as an offsite company, so we're a paneling company, so we have um, tradespeople working inside where it never rains and it never snows and the wind is kept out. Um, we also have a front door and an office that you can walk in and actually see a career and a training pathway, which for people who may be interested in the trades, me as a woman would be very intimidated to walk on a job site, raise my hand and say, I'd like a job. Where can I start? Right? So we're, we're, we're offering a way in where it's clear that being able to show up no matter the weather and you don't have to have a big diesel truck to be there allows many more people in. And when there's a guarantee that, you know, you can work a 40 hour week or you could work part time and that not jeopardize your career or your position within the company is very different than on a job site. There's a lot of volatility and there's a lot of scheduling issues. This is very consistent. So if you need a consistent job and you need to be at school at five and pick up your kids at seven, you can do that. Um, and I really, I talk a lot about calling in um, certainly women and girls into the trades and considering AEC um, pathways or even classes for interest. Um, something that's really interesting for me around what I'm learning is that working inside a shop, and notice I don't say factory because it really is a wood shop. You know, we're really car carpenters inside with really great equipment. Um, it's also allowing us to hold on to older builders who maybe are really ready to get off the job site. They're tired mm -hmm. of the headaches and, you know, maybe even clients. <laughs> But by bringing them in, not only are we retaining valuable experience and knowledge and keeping it working for home building in the U.S., it is also allowing us for mentorship and training and to have that knowledge transfer happen. And there's sort of that tradition. I sort of mentioned that of, you know, people in the trades tend to stay in the trades. It's a family tradition. And if it's not being passed by generations, how do we replicate that way? It, replicate that meaningfully for younger people coming into the trades. And so by creating, you know, you could almost look at our workshop as a, a working classroom because there are people of different ages and different experience getting to work together and everyone gets trained on every station in the shop, right? So there's a lot of that supportive team building and, you know, information transfer. Matt, did I answer your question at all? Or did I go like totally yes. left? Okay. 
Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. It's uh, it kind of ties into some some additional questions we had, and when we talk about um, economic conditions currently, uh, we've got a couple thoughts on that. Questions on that, but uh, you can clearly see how with tradespeople phasing out of the construction industry, there's definitely a huge economic impact there alone. It's a um, huge one. Yeah. Right. Right. So I guess moving forward, materials costs are escalating, um, paying your, your employees, your workers, uh, you know, cost of living, all that's increasing. The thought of having, uh, you know, the modular construction kind of speaks to that because there's less waste, uh, more predictable schedule. Uh, I guess any other any other benefits to modular that you want to really touch on right now for, you know, future, constru- uh, you know, constructability, the economic conditions that we're facing right now? Yeah, that was, you just cracked open a whole can of worms, didn't you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> just I, think, I think there's a, a lot in there and, and I'll try and um, answer sort of in two parts. Um, and you already mentioned this, when the cost and the value, and we can talk environmental cost and value and just the cost in dollars of our materials, we can't be we can't be throwing wood into dumpsters. It doesn't make any sense. So there's there's a real push of when the cost of materials is rising to maximize and even use recycled. I'm a big fan of sort of the deconstruction side of the world. Um, but also we use dense pack cellulose. So we're using 86% recycled post-consumer newsprint. Like those are really important for us, value-based decisions, but they have economic ramifications. So I'll just sort of stop with that. Um, we ask so much of builders. Right. And and often what we ask is, what's the square foot cost? Can you get it lower? Can you get it lower? And, and you know, when materials are rising, that's still directly affecting what we are paying people in the field and the profit margin for these builders at a time where their insurance is skyrocketing. And so we look at how we panelize. Um, and and I'm just going to throw in a little description here because I think a lot of people think panelized and they, they maybe have driven past multifamily where they're seeing, you know, plywood or OSB and framing of walls. For B Public, we have sheathing plywood in our assembly. It's fully framed, but it's also wrapped in weather barrier on five sides. And then on the sixth side is an air barrier. So it really is a full wall, fully insulated and very well protected. So when you think about what the risk is put on our builders, rather than having wood sitting out in the sun or in the rain, we're providing an entire assembly that is protected. We're also training builders. This is a part of sort of our crazy ecosystem that we're actually training the installers. We ourselves are not installers. We're actually empowering others to be trained to do that craning work and hoisting safely and 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 speeding up their build. So like for us, I'm sitting in New Mexico. Before COVID, the average single family home took 15 and a half months to build. So think about materials and people out, you know, in the field. Well, if you can shave two or three months off of that, you're also shaving two or three months off of risk at the same time, increasing productivity of those builders. That's huge. Right. So like it it really there's so many levers that we're pulling on. And part of the education piece is let's take advantage of that. Right. Like if we're up and it's weathered in completely in, say, eight days, let's get the roof right on there. Day nine, get the roof on. And that's part of the education for builders where they're still assuming it's, you know, month four or five, I can call later to get the pro panel. I don't need to think about that now. Taking advantage of 
Um, the speed to build is a re-education, um, but it also, we hope, makes it really exciting for people. I mean, we've got a lot of builders who are kind of coming into working with Be Public who are super impassioned. They're like, this is so great. Oh, you guys work with wood? We always work with wood. We love natural materials. We don't want to cut into foam, right? Like we're sort of honoring their desire to build better and taking out a lot of those pain points, which is probably, you know, how many different teams coming on, how many different lumber drops, right? We're one order, one delivery, one install, and it's up in a matter of, you know, a couple of weeks or days, depending on how big the project is. It just sort of flips everything without fully reinventing the wheel. That's why I say traditional, like it's traditional materials. It's things we know how to manage work with, but it also simplifies getting it up and weathered in. So you've talked about um, all of the different trades and building those individually. And, and historically, of course, we all know that, um, you know, the, the trades have a very clear path, you know, from apprenticeship and journeyman um, and, and into, into the professional work. Um because we've seen a lack of um, entry points um, into those professions, and at the same time, we're seeing other parts of the economy become widely more technical and widely more advanced, it seems like the trades are the last vestige of this this um, economic structure, you know, maybe even a medieval me- uh, economic structure. And you're pulling those silos underneath one big umbrella. Um, have you had any pushback from the electricians, the plumbers, um, you know, the the cities that you've worked with um, because of your methodology? That's a super good question. Um, in some ways, we get questions. We don't get pushback, right? It literally is the the electrician looking at the wall assembly and saying, "Okay, so I've." I see that. Okay, there's a service cavity. There's an inch and a half for me to work in. What can I, right? They're getting really practical. What if I need to penetrate? Great, you can penetrate the wall. This is what you do. But, you know, in terms of this movement movement building and um, engaging with people rather than um, making them an enemy of, yeah. of offsite, because we concentrate just on the components for the shell, we're not displacing, we're not displacing our local builders. We're actually yeah, just true. speeding them up and giving them a new tool. We're not displacing electricians or plumbers. And, you know, we've got lots of friends in the industry who are taking things in shop to deliver whole, you know, bathrooms, kitchens, you name it, mechanical systems. But our approach is that we want to empower the local. So yes, we want to, we want to talk to them, we want to train them. We certainly want to hear. What issues they're having? Can we improve our design so that it serves the electrician better? What is it that they want to see? But we're trying to really follow sort of a traditional path so that we are following those traditional roles. It's just, you know, where in the wall it's falling is a little bit different. And for people who are really watching that air tightness layer and, you know, that the unbroken insulation it's really clear on our project where that is, right? Where other times you really have to think of where the air barrier is, we're making it just perfectly clear. And if you come to one of our job sites, you know, put stickers on the air barrier and the weather barrier, and it says, if you cut it, reseal it, <laughs> right? That's great. But it's not that you can't not cut it. We've talked about, uh, you know, environmental uh, sustainability, looking at, ways to increase our our consciousness about the environmental impacts of our construction and we talked about path, passive house a couple times we've mentioned the name uh can you just give us a little preview uh, for those who haven't heard of passive house and what kind of principles those include yeah, Passive House has been around for a long time. It's interesting. It's become more of a movement in the U.S. in the last couple of years, um, but it's not it's not commonplace. Um, and it's a really cool approach that you design and build with an eye to conservation first. Um, so 
Very simply, it's a building science approach that if you build a really robust envelope, and that includes windows and doors, so we're talking about triple pane windows, what is that what does that affect in terms of the performance of the whole house in particular? And, and a lot of passive house practitioners are focusing on if you do a really great passive house design and envelope, your demand on energy for heating and cooling is radically reduced to the point that most people don't believe me when I say it's 80 to 90% less energy at a much higher comfort level. But that's the physics of it. If we if we over or maximize insulation and air barrier, that it's almost like that stainless steel thermos that you have. And you're so happy when you put hot coffee in it at six in the morning and at four, you're like, it's still hot. That is the best. And that's why it's passive because without adding more coffee into it or heating up the mug, it stayed warm. So that's the principle of these homes is if you make a really solid, well-insulated container, what it takes to heat and cool it is tiny. Um, so we talk about it being nearly net zero before you put any solar on. Everybody's so excited. We've got all this like new money around solar and renewable energy. But the most important thing we can do for our environment right now is actually reduce what we actually need, like reduce that demand. So it's a huge part of the passive house world is let's use as little as we can and get the highest level of comfort. So like you're dropping out any of those cold spots in a house. Um, trying to think of other failures. Um, and there, there are other things around better building science. You know, certainly the indoor air quality is better. Um, a lot of these, I'd say 95% of the homes that we're working on are all electric. Certainly you wouldn't want an airtight house that doesn't have great ventilation with a gas stove in it or a fireplace, right? That's not healthy for us. And what we're learning about what that indoor air quality means for certainly kids with asthma, right? We're pulling gas out of these homes. Um, when you have an airtight envelope, you do need to have a ventilation strategy. So there's fresh air constantly rotating through and, you know, these have MERS or HEPA filters on them. So you've got a reduction of dust and other sort of pollinators or pollen in the home. I'm sitting in New Mexico. We started about the wind at the very beginning of this podcast. This is fire season for us. It is meaningful to be able to close the windows when the air quality outside is not great. Um, it also, you know, diminishes pests of all kinds inside a home. Um, you know, it, I'll just back up and say the average code-built home is losing 30% of the energy you put into it just through leaks. Not because the windows and doors are open, just because it's leaky. Um, so that's sort of the basis. Does that cover it for you, Matt, of like what passive house is? So it's putting a really good yes. sweater on a house rather than cranking up the heat. Should I have just started with yeah. that? Just don't <laughs> like the heat. put a sweater on the house. I've talked with home builders in the past who have a resistance to um, to, to more energy efficiency. One in our region um, because energy is very inexpensive, um, and I think the mentality is changing about people's understanding of what's my responsibility with building this product or putting this product on the market, and then what is our collective responsibility of putting something out of the market that. Is not just a one-time transaction for the builder, but um, something that the homeowner is going to have to deal with. And you know, talking about the physics of it reminded me that there's so much voltage loss. And if you guys know the number, tell me out. But I remember hearing something to the effect of like easily 50% of the voltage that that exits the power station actually makes it to the to the end user. And I, I don't know if that number is correct or do you guys have? Um, but then you also consider the efficiency of appliances that have come uh, light years um, since they were originally introduced, um, our ability to now do LEDs and low voltage lighting, everything is pointing us in the direction of using less energy, which at the same time is a savings um, in prehistory as well. 
Um, I've always made the argument that a uh, property owner should maintain at least 5% of the value of the property or asset or whatever it is for maintenance every year. And surprisingly, utility bills over a 30 to 40 year period of time, coupled with those maintenance issues, um, almost exceed the, the actual sticker price, the original price of the property. And so it sounds like you're not only solving the, the first economic um, challenge of um, reducing the cost of operations, but then also creating a system in which society itself um, can begin to use less energy and hopefully, you know, means fewer power stations and and fewer impacts um, on our electrical grid. So um, how do you make that argument to a maybe a traditional builder um, that's looking at your product? You know, I'm really not in the habit of making arguments with builders. <laughs> I just, I don't know if that's going to be the best way. Um, You know, we may be in different markets. We may be talking to different people. There's just a high demand for new home construction here. And if the client is asking for a passive house or an eco home or a green built home, and they've hired this builder, the builders listen. I mean, they are in the customer service. Uh, world. I think for developers, it's a little bit different. I do think we're we're talking to more legacy developers who really want to, like me, have a lasting mark. Um, and I think we've all experienced 300 years of building with wood and that those homes are resilient. We know how to repair them. We know how to add additions to them, right? Um, so in that way of like, it's a tool, it's honoring um, builders always like seeing and feeling things. That's where I change hearts. When they get it and they understand that their building is going to be super solid and like it, it's actually a great building for like winter seasons. We've got short seasons in the Rockies for building with high demand and getting inside one of our envelopes, even without the windows. I've got this builder who tells the story all the time of being in like 20 degree weather, January, they had their sweaters off. They're working in t-shirts and there was no heat on inside. Wow. Right. So it's like, again, is it a comfort level? Is it if you're competing for the, for the subs to get to your, your site? Oh, it's going to be really comfortable in there. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be really quiet. The neighbors aren't going to be mad at you. I think, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky question of, um, if builders don't want to change behavior, unfortunately, it's policy and and um, you know code that's dictating. And and we are working in a lot of communities where code is at you know 2021, and the community has mandated net zero by 2030. And you know, so they're looking around their community, going, "How are we going to do this?" We all voted. This is what's going to happen. And so there is this demand, market demand for a change where builders may be resistant. But if they don't adopt an approach, they will no longer be able to get approval or get hired. And that's that's critical. And I think, you know, in in New York, we were just talking about New York that, you know, there and Massachusetts is another one. Their policies are so excellent now that they have a lot of incentives in training and in new manufacturers and and, and new technologies because they don't know how they're going to meet it, but they know they have to. And you did make up, you know, the, the issue you raised about the difference between the power we use and what actually has to be generated. There's a lot there. And I actually think the loss is more than that. And I don't think any of us are aware of that because our energy is very cheap. I'm with you. It's very inexpensive here. And even the solar companies are doing a great job with, you know, loan packages to make it more affordable to put solar on. Um, A lot of what we talk about is long-term safety and resilience, right? I, I hate to say it, but, you know, Texas having these horrible storms and people living in basically uninsulated homes and the power going out is a real crisis. If you, if you're basing your performance and the comfort of your home on physics 
and on materials that don't move, as opposed to mechanisms that run off of something, that means you're going to get to stay home and be safe and comfortable, no matter what the storm. Excellent point. There's a, a big movement out there now for the be able to shelter in place um, if there's an emergency, instead of having to go to emergency shelter or, you know, run, you know, up to the hills or whatever. Um, obviously, those are very geographic specific. So if you're in Florida or near the Gulf, you've got, you know, hurricane challenges. If you're in obviously the mountains, you've got, you know, freezing and rain and floods. Um, Passive House tends to be um, not um, ageographic, uh, but work better in certain locations. And you mentioned, obviously, I think in colder environments. Um, talk Talk to us a little bit about the geographies where you work. Um, because my understanding is you're all over the country at this point and ready to kind of expand uh, into other other places as well. We're not all over, but I love that you represent it there. We're in pockets, and I just talked about where there's high demand for low energy or, you know, uh, uh, conserving buildings. So we're working in California now in New Mexico, Colorado. We've got some projects in New York State and in Massachusetts. Um, and a lot of projects bubbling up in Arizona, which I think is a really good moment to represent that we talk about a sweater over a house is passive house. That is a bad analogy for much of what we need to address, (laughs) which is actually the cooling load. So if we look at the carbon emissions for the U S in a year, 6% is air conditioning. 6%, 6%, like we're talking about like, oh, should I drive an electric car? What's my carbon footprint? You know what? It's your AC. And so it's really important that we look at places like Arizona um, where heavy load, I mean, the demand is unbelievable there. And super insulating is just as effective to hold that cool air in as in, you know, Calgary and keeping it warm in the middle of winter. So we need to, we need to work on language and descriptors so that people understand that if you super insulate, um, you're not holding the heat in the wall. It's not like a mass based green building approach. It really is about the air inside and what we hold. And so um, looking at, you know, Southern California, as well as Arizona as big target markets for us in the coming years. We do not serve currently hot, humid clients. So I'm not working in Florida, unfortunately, because they're very kind and they call often because they have a lot of housing demand and there's some wonderful developers down there. So um, I'd say the lowest, um, I think top of climate zone 3B, we're doing a house in in, uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina and a net zero development. Um, but that's part of uh, just about as low as we would go in terms of hot and humid. What was your other part of that question, Mark? Taking the kit of parts mentality and finding places where you can like locally adapt it, I think is also interesting um, because uh, we can talk about aesthetics here in just one second. But um, the beauty, I think, of the system is obviously it meets code, meets and exceeds code, um, and it can be deployed in really any region. Um, uh, maybe hurricanes, maybe the exception there. Um, but you're working in California, so you've kind of solved some of the seismic issues um, there. Um, I think it's really attractive for anyone to be able to look at your system and see an alternative that is very easy to understand, very simple to comprehend the the components and the basis of it, and be able to integrate that in. Um, a lot of our audience uh, is both international but across the United States, and so I think that's that's the real uh, beauty of your system as well. Is um, is that you can, you know, people can call up and say, hey, we'd like to to learn more about this. And it, it sounds like you have kind of a, a yes mentality to uh, to going into places where it makes sense um, environmentally. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we designed our panels that they're fairly small. You know, they're all max at an eight, eight foot width. Um, our longest floor panel is 22 feet. I mean, it's designed so that it, you know, flat packs, but it can can be shipped. And that we can even address, you know, some challenging sites where you don't really want to have trucks going up and down and up and down. Um, you know, we've mm-hmm. talked to some people on some islands that getting a whole kit of parts envelope delivered on a barge is way better 
than ordering each of those ingredients, all of those materials, and have to site build. So, you know, I, I think we were going to talk about it's not just the regions we're addressing, but it is the forms. So, like the the size of our panels is very specific because it's that Lego mentality, right? It's it's very flexible in what you can build and how you create the form. Um, but it also is designed that you could be doing an infill project in an ur urban or suburban area. It's super helpful for rural projects that need to basically be net zero in order to be affordable for the solar systems or whatever the energy source is. Um, and certainly very attractive for new development of kind of any scale. Um, so there's, it's not just the regions, but it's sort of what you can build with Be Public that it is really just kind of a new two by four. Um, it's something that you know, once you understand how to use it, and I appreciate everybody who's listening, that this may be the last time you ever think about the structure or the building envelope, because it really will disappear. Like we talk about it a lot. And I sort of laugh of like, well, once these buildings are up and done, nobody's thinking thinking about it, right? Yeah. It disappears into the structure, although people will enjoy that it's less maintenance and comfortable, you bet. Very interesting. We talked about building these in uh, panels and shops, and you said you started in 2019, is that correct? So you, uh, you started forming these shops, yeah, in a, at a very difficult time. So can you... Uh, can you discuss your your challenges with uh you know the the thing that will not be said and then you know staffing material acquisition everything just to try to get going during a, a very difficult <laughs> difficult time I'd be curious to hear about that yeah and 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 this this part of the conversation might be um best suited for sort of the entrepreneur wonks um listening. <laughs> This company was designed for distributed manufacturing and smaller shops than you might think. So, you know, 20,000 square feet under roof is a great size for this company. And the panels, we were just talking about the size of it, was actually designed that it can be hand built, that it could be, we could be building panels in a trade school in their shop class, right? We're trying to make it really accessible or sort of a, a low threshold of investment to, to get going. Um, we started the company with some primary partners to be contract manufacturers for us. So again, calling people in rather than trying to displace people, we're really trying to stabilize people who are panelizing and great craftspeople and know how to do Passive House and give them something that's a standard build, standard material list, that they can fill in between their other projects because we can inventory. Be public panels can be inventoried and that same panel can go to California or New Mexico or New York, right? So a totally different approach. So when we launched, um, and we still are reliant on contract manufacturers, that's how we can have this regional spread rather than investing just in diesel. Um, but we did just launch our first um, be public owned factory shop um, here in Las Vegas, New Mexico, which is extraordinarily exciting because it gives us a place um, not only to build our panels, um, but it's a place to educate and bring people in around what this means and, and obviously training opportunities. And we do the builder training out of that space. So we hired the live crane. And we have people come from all over the country to come and do, you know, building science workshop, how to read offsite sets, how to look at, you know, your budgeting and your scheduling differently, and then getting into the safety. And then, of course, the material science. So, like, we're throwing a lot of people into a lot in this shop. But most importantly, the shop that we own is designed to really R&D our processes because the growth of Be Public is a franchise model that we will repeat the shop regionally so that we are investing in job creation in the communities that need housing and have builders demanding and developers demanding Be Public for their new construction 
So that's, that's our growth model going from partners, continuing to build with partners, adding our own shops, and just being able to really serve regional markets without being dependent on, you know, lots and lots of freight. You mentioned a second ago, the, the training workshops that you have, little conferences there. Real quickly, give us a rundown of what that looks like over the, the kind of the schedule of, of those days. Yeah, we, um, we've done it twice and we'll offer it. Um, we're offering it just about quarterly, Mark. Um, and we try and keep it small. So you said conference and I want to make sure that like, um, I'm drawing a picture of, um, it's about five companies is the right size. And we do like companies bringing more than one person. Again, that there are two people on the site that would have that training and they can hold the knowledge and share the knowledge with everybody else back on site. Um, we like to throw a party. So we we welcome everybody to like an open house gathering and we actually open it to the community. So it's the builders meeting each other and then meeting the shop crew and meeting our staff, but also maybe meeting homeowners who are building with us or planning on building with us. And then like architects or their learn. Um, and then we get really serious um, and do a combination of uh, sit down and hands on learning. And, and we're really fortunate that we have some training partners that join us. So uh, Johnny Resvani, who's with 475 Building Supply, who supplies all the European um, tapes, membranes, air barriers um, from Germany, from Proclima comes to these trainings and he does, you know, an amazing presentation about that and the advantages and, and how these things were developed, um, but also goes around the practical of like, this is how you order it. This is how long it lasts. I mean, the tapes that we put on our panels are rated for a hundred years of use and there's no petroleum in them. Like these are things to geek out and share. Um, and we have pretty amazing training manual at this point. Um, and we actually, I skipped this, but we have pre-recorded um, about an hour of going through the entire manual. So people have an idea of what's coming that they get ahead of showing up in Las Vegas. Um, we do go through the review and reading of plans. Um, the IECC published um, brand new. It was the first time a standard was published for offsite and how that needs to be represented in our architectural plans. Um, very few people know about it. So we go through that. We talk about code, how we follow code. And this certainly is a be public training. It is so that people are able to respond to requests for bids and go and install projects. Um, but it is sort of an overview for many other companies that are looking for set and stitch crews. Um, this is one of those skills gaps I talked about. There are a lot of us in the industry who have identified that we've got a great product or we've got a good module and we've got clients over here, but we don't have people in the field who are really ready to do that work. So we've taken on developing this training and it certainly would serve other kinds of prefab um, construction. Uh, certainly budgeting. And then we get hands on around what does it mean to air seal? How hard is it to do this corner? Let's Here's a trick. Lots of tricks in trade. Um, and then we've gone over things like when you arrive on site, how do you verify the foundation? Oh, cool. Let's get out the laser level. Let's really talk about it. When you've identified an issue with that foundation, is it time to call the engineer or call the GC back on site and ask them to fix it or put a hold on the project? For some of our projects, like the California projects, we've got cast in place tie downs in the foundation, right? So what if you show up and it's in the wrong place? Great. These are great things to work through in a group. And so we've got, you know, 20 or so builders sitting around the room, sharing knowledge, talking about problem solving. And we've really discovered, again, honoring these people who have been building homes for however many years. It's just realigning information they basically already have in their heads and how to reorient it. So it's it's not necessarily that everything we're going over is brand new. It's like, okay, now how do you put it into practice in this new way? Um, and then we have a training module. We call it the mini B. It looks a little bit like 
you know, like an ADU or something, but it's bright blue because it's wrapped in our weather barrier. And so um, we have a live crane operator. That crane operator has become an adjunct <laughs> trainer because they have so much knowledge. So they get down out of the crane and say, hold on, hold on. You guys weren't doing that signal right. Let's 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 all come around and learn it. Um, and we put up a whole structure. And so that's sort of the culminating and people graduate and it's really fun. And it's become a cohort now that some of these teams are pretty close together. And at our first training, it was so incredible to have a crew from Colorado and a crew from New Mexico talking and saying, oh, we've got a build coming up. Would you guys drive up? Would you help us on it? Yeah, let's do yours together too. So that's the coolest thing is we're creating cohorts so that it's not, if it's a single family home, you know, the install crew is three people. But if we've got eight townhomes going up, we want to call in these crews to work together. Like that is where we have impact and we have like the ability to reply, respond to this market demand of let's get it up faster. Let's have people who are experienced with it. Let's have, you know, transfer of knowledge on site and then bring more people in. And and I'm gratified to say, I think I might almost be sold out on the next one already. Um, So we'll just continue to repeat. And I, I actually think the next one we will develop is um, proper installation for high performance windows and doors because these crews could then add that as an additional, you know, service and profit uh, center. Um, so we'll keep adding to the training. It's important for our industry. I love that you uh, start off with uh, consideration of the economic conditions and uh, the pipeline of development and, a, and a, a thorough and complete understanding of the, the construction process all the way down to the details of the tape. And uh, the corners and how the how the adjustments are made and how to field fabricate things if necessary. And I love the the ability of what you've created to be customized in so many ways, but still standardized. You know, it's, it's the Lego analogy obviously is exceptional, and uh, maybe we'll hit them up for a sponsorship. Um, but we have a, a real opportunity, I think, to to shift those economic um, models into something that can really grow. It's not like we're cannibalizing, uh, you're cannibalizing one part of the economy, but really folding a lot of that into a more efficient process. Yeah. I think we can be smarter about it without pissing people off. Right. And yeah. without <laughs> knocking people out of jobs. Um, and I think that's important. I, I, you know, I want to go back to this. I think Lego is a poor analogy because it's plasticky and you can't put stucco on it. So we should probably change that. Like it'd be, it'd be hard <laughs> to tried? put wood siding <laughs> on, on the outside of. So yeah, it's it, it's yeah. We we get to dress it up, kind of however we want. Again, the panels themselves sort of fall behind, and and like architectural form, it can be any almost anything. And we do do custom, but we always you know try and use our kit of parts first, and then the premium is on those custom panels. Um, but yeah, in terms of regional style and finishes, it's wide open. And we do beautiful design work in-house. In some ways, it's so fun working with the architects on the outside because they're so creative and they come at it differently. And so it's like, you know, it's a reinterpretation of how to use the standard and then add to it, right? Like what they do with decks and overhangs and, you know, it's like, it's really fun to see it come back reinterpreted and dressed up differently. You shared a little bit about the benefits uh, for, you know, obviously a homeowner who's doing this because they're going to have that asset as, you know, their, their expense directly. Um, tell us a little bit about um, when you talk about multifamily, um, what are some of the limitations on size, height? Um, and it doesn't sound like there's really a number of units because um, you could obviously put some separation between those, but and talk a little bit about what the multifamily um, kit of parts looks like. Yeah, and it's an interesting economic question too. Um, when you invest in a better envelope, um, the cost per square foot goes down quite a bit, um, which is really fun to play with with developers to get them excited about it. And you're right, we're going, you know, three stories above foundation or podium or parking. Um, so I'm not going to that five or six or 10. We've got a lot of people in mass timber doing that. I feel like we've got a really good, (laughs) good envelope size that we're happy with. 
Um, but, but again, it's sort of an endless question. As long as you're putting partition walls in between and safety, the, the forms are very open and flexible. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of conversations with developers um, and asking about the benefits to them. And I think there is a big difference of developers who are holding and longtime property owners for rental versus people who are selling. And I think in in you know the the for sale market, obviously the quality is a huge, you know, if you're in a competitive market and you're really trying to set your product apart, um, this is very helpful. You know, it's very of the times. Um, if you're gonna again hold this property long term in New York State, if you're not building to this quality, you're now starting to get taxed. You're going to have to retrofit or tax. So it's like, why wouldn't you build past code now and assume that that's going to protect you from having to retrofit in five or 10 years? I mean, that just seems so obvious to invest now. Um, and there's some really interesting sort of financial tools around that for people who are doing commercial development um, to value that, to run it differently on the book so that you really get benefit as owner on that. Um, and I think the maintenance is obvious. You know, if if you've got apartments and we were talking about health quality, like if you're doing apartments and you can have separate um, HVAC or mini splits is what we would do for each apartment and that you're not ducting between. I mean, we just talked about COVID at the beginning of this indoor air quality and separation is really important. But those are also systems that don't have to be um you know, fully replaced. If if the coil goes out, you just pull it out, right? If the core goes out, you pull that out. You don't have to like replumb the whole building. Um, and I think that's of great value to property owners. Um, and I, you know, more and more talking to um, nonprofit and, and community development groups of wanting to do better, of wanting to pilot what they know the market needs to do and so you think about who's valuing it. I love it. It's like Habitat for Humanity is prioritizing this in our community. So like, what does that mean to just the production builders who are like, no, we'll just stick with code and you can replace your windows 10 years from now when I'm not around, right? Like yeah. that's meaningful market push of like, if we can do this in affordable or workforce housing, everyone should be considering it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I, yeah, I love, I love what we've talked about kind of the, the beginning and the end. I want to talk about kind of more so the beginning for a developer. Um, we've got several developers, large and small, that kind of tune in. And I'm just curious how that begins with, uh, you know, their pro forma and then having that discussion with your group. Um, I guess, can you paint that picture for us a little bit more? Yeah, and it's really exciting talking to developers. Um, we can we can kind of follow two paths. One, of course, we have architects, designers on staff, and we can design for a developer, single family home or multifamily home developments in-house. If you're interested in adopting better building, low energy building, conservation, like we are kind of a turnkey for your design and certainly your envelope solution. If a developer already has plans or has even schematics for a plan, what we do is build a, a, a model, a 3D model of that, you know, structure or structures very quickly with an estimate, right? So that instead of waiting until it's fully fleshed out plans and then sent out to bid, we want to at least fill in the unknown of if I choose to go with high performance panelization, what does that cost? And it's a bit of unteasing. Like we do a bit of support and, you know, technical assistance around what can that pull out of your pro forma? You know, if you're moving into this direction, if you're going to go for something that's high performance, do you want us to help look at your HVAC? There should be significant savings in HVAC. Right. Can we make suggestions on window manufacturers that would be able to satisfy that project? 
And, you know, Mark brought up a great question. Some of this is regional, right? And we do have a couple of different wall assemblies. Well, they're all the same material assembly, but performance level. So we have an R35 wall and an R52 wall. When you go to multifamily, you get to go straight into that R35. But again, if you were somewhere like Minnesota and you were going for passive house, yeah, let's look at the 52 and let's compare those costs. So it's real data right up front and it's data around cost and performance, which is very rare in our industry to be able to like peer in because if you're going to make those decisions, you want to be able to benefit from the whole range of benefits, right? Smaller systems, maybe their incentives on the table, maybe their CPACE funding because of it. You know, there's like a lot for a developer to imagine and think about. And I'm surprised that when I talk to developers, they're not super aware of what the incentives are in their community. And it's it's valuable. Even just here in New Mexico, if you go all electric, it's a buck a square foot on top of $6 a square foot for certifying Build Green New Mexico. I mean, those are dollars that I know developers want. (laughs) Interesting. I I guess we talk about this a lot in in the construction side, economics as far as lead times. Uh, You know, you've got transformers for year out, roofing systems for months and months out doors uh so i guess with that being on everyone's mind um how how do the lead times look on on this type of construction because that obviously plays into total construction costs too i mean you have the actual construction of the structure on site is one one way to do it right or you have it pre-man pre-manufactured but there is also a lead time right yeah, and we've seen some really yeah. exciting leak times over the last few years. Yeah. Um, for single family, we're at six months from order to yeah. delivery. And so, you know, taking advantage of our speed is that while you're getting, you know, permit finalized and you're getting the earthwork done and foundation, we basically are, you know, collapsing that timeline. So work is mm-hmm. being done while we're getting ready. For multifamily, we're looking at a year plus, and it depends on the size scale and the form of it. But again, because we can inventory panels, we can be producing and storing, getting ready for that install. So it's not that we're just going to start a week ahead of that job and they're going to get one panel and then another panel, right? It's it's really about the planning and the, the staging of the projects. Um, and I think you know we have yet to have a project waiting on us. We're very fortunate that um, we've had more pain around. We jumped on it. We were ready to go up. Oh, we had to wait for the trucks up. Oh, we got to, I mean, it's raining in Boulder today. We have an install <laughs> today and it is raining. We were there. Panels are all ready. <laughs> we're waiting on weather. Um, nicely yeah. protected, but um, it's a really, it's, and I think, I think the real economic impact has not been very well studied, certainly not by us, but there are things about, you know, the carrying costs and even just dumpsters, right? Most of our projects for single family home, the dumpster is not there until well after the whole envelope is up and done. You know, it has impact. Well, looking forward, tell us a little bit about your legacy, what you want to leave behind. And uh, if we were to look you up in 200 years, what what would we what would we hear? Mark, I really hope that that Wikipedia does not say Edith Dillman, <laughs> because even two hundred years from now, that would age me. I feel like that would be bad. We're going to stick with Edie. Um, I I really I think it's you know, it would be something around dedicated to changing the world for the better. Love it. Well, where can our listeners, <laughs> yeah, where can our listeners find out more information about Be Public? Um, you're welcome to visit our our website, which is B, the letter B, publicprefab.com. Um, I would love it if people followed on, you know, Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook and all of those good places. 
We are on YouTube. Um, and a lot of the media stuff that we do, like this podcast, um, gets posted on Be Public's news site right on the website. So there's lots of information and a lot of things that, you know, maybe we participated in, but we were asking about a lot of things. We spend a lot of time talking and educating and working with others. So there's great information and like panels that I've been where there are architects talking about Passive House, things like that can be found there. Um, yeah, we're very reachable. I get great compliments from customers and, and professionals coming to us of, oh, it's an actual person answering your phone or talking <laughs> on your web bot. I love that the web bot, although sometimes the web bot is me at 10 o'clock at night and that is probably a little crazy, but um, yeah, we're very accessible, happy to um, bring people in and we do a lot when we're in communities of open houses and bringing people to site. And so watching the website and on Instagram's great. If people are interested in experiencing, you know, our shop, our training, or come see a be public building, um, it, that's where to go. Well, Edie, thank you so much for your time. I am uh, not just uh, personally uh, excited about seeing the work uh, that you're doing. Um, but professionally as well, understanding this has been a long time coming and you're filling an extraordinary need in the market. And for everybody out there, um, definitely check out the website, um, call, email, Edie, and, and find out what you can do. And especially if you're a motivated builder or developer in another part of the country, um, definitely contact Edie about that franchise opportunity because I think that's uh, be able to spread this methodology across the country in the markets where it makes sense uh, is, is it's, it's a game changer. It's really going to change the way we, we do things. Yep. Onward. We got it. Join us. All right, Matt, awesome. any other final thoughts? Nope. I appreciate your time, Edie. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so, much. so much. Great work on the podcast. Thrilled to be a part of it. All right. Have a good day. 